starting all the way back from Sumerian and Babylonian astronomy of about 1200 BC, we had come to Greece. Astronomy there reached to a good height with mathematics involved within it. Aristotle's idea of spherical Earth slowly got popularity among the other astronomers and geocentric model with the spherical Earth went on. As time passed, technological advancements contributed to the astronomical observations and mismatching to the existing model became a big problem. Around 150 AD, Ptolemy modified the existing model, adding epicycles to it in order to cope up with the observed retrograde motion of the planets. Apart from epicycles, he also stated that the planets are not moving centered the Earth, rather they are moving centered a point which is situated between the Earth and something else. Ptolemy's model was complicated, but it served well to predict the motions of the planets with changing speed. We stopped there in the previous episode. And as I promised, let me take you back there again through the second episode of my astronomy podcast, The History of Astronomy, Understanding the Heavens. Ptolemy's model of the universe was the most successful model of the universe. It lasted for almost 1300 years. Though some corrections were done time to time to match the model with the observations, more and more epicycles were added to it, making it so much complex. In around 500 AD, a mathematician and astronomer of India understood a remarkable truth that the moon and the planets don't emit light, rather they reflect the light emitted from the sun. He believed the geocentric model, but in a different way. He thought only the sun, moon and the planets are moving around the earth, not the stars. He thought that the earth spins around its own axis once in a day, creating an illusion of stars moving around it. Thus. With tiny amount of change, Ptolemy's model went on with success and acceptance. In the long period of 1300 years, some mathematician or astronomer questioned about the complexity of the model and critiqued the work of Ptolemy. Around 1000 AD, Al-Hazen pointed that the Ptolemy's model is not self-consistent. He stated that the crystalline spheres carrying the planets would crash into each other. Though he couldn't propose an alternative model, it took four to five hundred years more. It was 19th February 1473. A child was born into a wealthy family of the city of Thorn in the province of Royal Prussia, in the crown of the kingdom Poland. His father was a merchant and his mother was a daughter of a merchant. This newborn baby is going to revolutionize astronomy. Yes. As you might have guessed, he is none other than Nicolas Copernicus. While everyone was busy adding epicycles to Ptolemy's model, making it more and more complex, Copernicus thought that there must be some simple model to understand the universe, which everyone, including himself, is overlooking. Finally, somewhere between the year 1508 to 1514, he proposed the idea of heliocentric model taking the work of Aristarchus of Samos of 4th century BC as reference. 
Though at the time of Aristarchus, this model was not accepted to be the true image of the universe. It again came into existence with Nicholas Copernicus. Suddenly, retrograde motion of the planets can be predicted using this model without any complications of epicycles. In heliocentric model, he stated that the Earth and the other planets are revolving around the Sun in circular path. It was successful to predict retrograde motion, but it fails a lot. The fact is, the model was not better than the existing Ptolemy's model to predict the motion. Arguably, it was worse, but it was simpler. Copernicus himself was convinced about this fact that this model is not well enough and he didn't publish his work until 1543. Year 1543 was his death year. Yes, he waited till his death to modify the theory. He had to struggle for publishing his work on heliocentric model because the geocentric model was widely accepted and Moreover, it was accepted by the Roman Catholic Church. Copernicus was accused to be against the Church and hence against the God for his work on heliocentric model. Discussing about his struggle is beyond the scope of this episode. This heliocentric idea was the birth of the modern astronomy and it was a revolution through Copernicus's theory that it overturned the geocentric model as, and established the heliocentric image of the universe. This revolution is now called as Copernican Revolution. Around the time of the death of Copernicus, there was born another mathematician astronomer named Tycho Brahe. He was born in Denmark. There is an interesting story about him. Tycho Brahe lost his nose. No, dear Harry Potter fans, he was not the Dark Lord Voldemort. There is a story that in a party he was drunk and indulged in a debate with another fellow at the party. The debate was about a mathematical formula. After a while, that debate eventually turned into a sword dwelling and Tycho Brahe lost a big chunk of his nose. This mathematician was supposed to study law, but he wasn't interested about that and ended up doing mathematics and astronomy. He was one of the pioneers to make the astronomical instruments for observations with great precision. Using his instruments after some careful and thorough observations for months, around November 1572, he discovered a new star in a constellation which couldn't be seen earlier. It was a supernova. For those who don't know what a supernova is, let me tell you. When a star ran out of its fuel, it couldn't hold its shape and it starts to collapse within itself. In some cases, this collapse leads to a deadly explosion in the star and it becomes way more brighter than it was previously. This explosion is the death of a star. Through this explosion, the star becomes a cloud of dust, which is too bright that it can be seen from long distance. This explosion is called a supernova. Till 1572, Aristotle's idea of the universe that it is static and unchanging was going on with great acceptance. 
but a scene of supernova forced Tycho Brahe and other astronomers who were aware about this discovery to think that the universe may not be unchanging forever and Aristotle probably was wrong about it. Eventually it turns out to be true. We now know that stars and galaxies do evolve with time. They born and die just like living creatures. Brahe then published his observation and got popularity and acceptance all over the Europe. The king of Denmark wanted to keep him home and offered him an island with a state-of-the-art observatory to continue his observations of the celestial objects. It was not just an observatory, rather it was a castle. The telescope wasn't invented yet, all the observations were based on naked eye and for measurement there was some remarkably precise instrument. One of those was called a quadrant and it was used to measure angular distance between objects. Using the observatory, he observed the motions of the planets and the stars with extraordinary precise measurements. He also established a printing press for recording his observations. It, at that time, was one of the most rich resources of astronomical observations and probably heaven for any astronomer of that time. Johannes Kepler, a German mathematician, based on Copernicus's theory, wanted to build a model which can work perfectly with all the observations. For that, he needed precise measurement and observations data. In this scenario for Kepler, what could be better than working with the data recorded by Tycho Brahe? To get this data, Kepler wanted to work with Brahe, and, but Brahe was insecure about Kepler. He knew that Kepler was a great mathematician and hence he had a fear of being outshone by Kepler. He took Kepler as his assistant but kept most of his data secret. After some years of Kepler's joining, Tycho died. There is another story about his death that he died because his bladder burst after drinking lots of beer at a royal dinner. At that time, it was kind of a rule that in royal party, you cannot leave the dinner table until the king leaves it, whatever be the reason. It was kind of showing respect to the royal family. Maybe this respectfulness was the cause of the death of Tycho Brahe. Anyway, after Tycho's death, Kepler got his data eventually. Using his data and further observations, he proposed a remarkable idea that the planets are not moving in circular path around the sun, rather they are moving in ellipses. The shape of ellipse was discovered by Greek mathematician about 1500 years ago just for mathematical beauty. Now Kepler used that shape to make his model. It turned out that all the observations suddenly matched with the model. Till now, we know that, yes, indeed, the planets are moving around the sun, not in circles, but in ellipses. If you don't know what an ellipse is, I will recommend you to Google it, because it would have no meaning to teach you about the shape without showing it, and in a podcast, I can't show it. Anyway, just as a circle has a center, an ellipse has two such points. These are called focus. Kepler stated that the planets are moving in ellipses. 
keeping the sun at one focus. Around the year 1610, he gave three laws of planetary motions which we still use for planetary kinematics. The three laws are as follows. Number one, all the planets move about the sun in ellipses, keeping the sun at the focus. Number two, a straight line joining any planet and the sun sweeps out equal area in equal amount of time. That means when the planet is close to sun, it has more speed as compared to that when it is far away. Number three, the square of the total time taken by a planet to revolve around the sun is directly proportional to the cube of the average distance between the planet and the sun. That means the farther a planet is from the sun, the longer it takes to revolve around it. Till now, we believe in these three laws and they are still in use to predict the motion of the planets. In around the same time, an Italian astronomer, Galileo Galilei, heard about a device that can be made by putting two lenses together and objects far away can be seen closer. This device was called telescope and was used to watch the horizon of a sea for spotting trading ship so that people at the port can have enough time to be ready for the trade. Hearing about this device, Galileo built this instrument and rather than pointing it in any direction, he pointed it towards the night sky. He saw such things that no one could have ever seen before. He discovered Jupiter's moon, new stars, structures on the surface of the moon, Saturn's ring. He proved by his observation that Ptolemaic model can't be right and Earth is moving around the Sun. It established the Kepler's model and observations perfectly matched with the predictions. In the year 1642, Galileo died and in that same year, in England, Isaac Newton was born. He was probably the greatest mathematician ever. He put his contribution to a wide range of applications. He was the first to understand the motion of any objects, the cause behind it and put a great step forward to quantify it. He coined the concept and mathematics of force, mass, acceleration, velocity, momentum. He gave three laws of motion which we use every day. Discussing about the three laws of motion is beyond the scope of this episode. His famous equation, F equals to mass times acceleration, is simple and a great piece of work. He invented calculus, which is the most useful mathematical tool today. He invented it to understand motion. It is used from astrophysics to engineering, from biology to economics. Not only calculus and three laws of motion, he tried to unify the cause of the motion of the planets around the sun with the motion of a falling body on the surface of the earth. As the popular story said that he sat under an apple tree and an apple fell beside him and he invented gravity. Put aside the story, the invention was not as simple as it seems hearing the story. He tried to find out an underlying cause behind the falling apple 
the moon revolving around the earth and the earth revolving around the sun. He believed that all these phenomena are linked and governed by a single law. This law is now called Newton's law of gravitation. He states that any two objects in the universe attract each other through a force called gravity and the amount of force is inversely proportional to the distance between these two objects and directly proportional to the product of the mass of these two objects. That means the force will increase when the distance decreases and mass of the two objects increases. Yes, you and me are attracted towards the center of the earth due to the same force which put the earth in the orbit around the sun. In the equation f equals to mass times acceleration, f is a general term for any force. It can be molecular attraction inside a material or force you are applying on a pedal of a cycle or the gravitational force between objects. Every force obeys this equation, whereas gravity is a special kind of force which obeys that equation and along with that it also has certain properties like it decreases with increase in distance. If you put the force of gravity in place of F and mass of the object in the equation, you will get the acceleration of the object. Earth has its own acceleration due to the gravity of the Sun and the Sun has an acceleration due to the gravity of the Earth. This remarkable discovery has changed the view of the universe. We now can precisely tell what is the position of an object and why that is. Apart from gravity, he also discovered the spectrum of light using a prism. If you take a beam of light and pass it through a prism, it will break itself into its constituent wavelengths or colors. This is exactly how rainbow forms. These constituent wavelengths are called spectrum of light. This spectrum of light is now used for understanding the composition of stars, galaxies, supernova remnants and other objects. How is spectrum used to determine the composition? Well, I will answer this in some later episode because it will be a different kind of discussion. Newton also invented reflecting telescopes which is much more convenient to build and cost effective and widely used nowadays. Now, physicists have found some limitations of Newton's mechanics. It works well and correctly in our daily life and most of the astrophysics is based on Newton's laws, but in some cases where the speed of object becomes fast enough to be comparable to that of light, Newton's law breaks down. And in case of very small objects down to atoms, electrons and protons, Newton's law breaks down. In high-speed case, we need special and general theory of relativity. And Mechanics based on that is called relativistic mechanics. And in small scale, down to atoms and electrons, we need quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics and relativistic mechanics don't overturn the Newtonian mechanics. Rather, they are just extensions of Newtonian mechanics. The motion of cannonball, bullets from a gun, firing of rockets, putting artificial satellite in the orbit, motion of the moon, motion of the earth, Everything is governed by Newtonian mechanics. We live in Newtonian age. 
obviously it has some limitations and we successfully have determined where the flaws are and how to handle those problems through relativity and quantum mechanics. So, this was the mesmerizing journey to the history of astronomy. Isn't it beautiful and exciting? In next episode, we will meet again with another exciting topic. Till then, goodbye.